verses 9 through 15. And of course, here we have Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're deep into the discussion here. <clears throat> and Christ, uh, we hear in, uh, uh, Nicodemus ask in verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be here, that you would bless the preaching of your word. Help us, Lord, to understand and help me to preach with clarity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is Nicodemus' second and final reply to Jesus. And there are two possible reasons for Nicodemus' question. First, he may disbelieve. He may just disbelieve what Jesus is saying to him. So, as Zechariah did in Luke 1.18, when he was told that his wife was going to have a child, and, and Zechariah said, how will I know this? That question was in really an unbelief. And second, he may desire to know. He may genuinely not understand how it could be possible, how the, how the necessity and the nature of the new birth was, which Jesus has been explaining. You must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. There is a need for spiritual regeneration, Nicodemus. He may not understand how this can be. Sort of like Mary when she was told by the angel in Luke 134 that she was going to have a child. See, her question wasn't rebuffed because she really didn't understand. How, how, how is, I've never been with a man. How? Right? And Nicodemus's question might be either one of these or maybe there may be a mixture. Nicodemus asked, it might be that he asked because he just didn't know. He did start with great confidence, though, right? We know certain things about you, Jesus. We know you are a teacher sent from God because nobody could do the, the, the works that you are doing if God had not sent him. Now he's stunned when Jesus starts to talk to him. Completely stunned. First, 
he said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And now how can these things be? The necessity and nature of the new birth were truths he did not understand. And the reason is because he had not been born again. Nicodemus illustrates the misunderstanding of multitudes today, even professing Christians and maybe even people sitting here today. Religious people who speak religiously, they may act religiously, but they do not know God and will not go to heaven unless they are born again. And the the problem that we have is that we think we are wise and powerful enough to accomplish whatever is required for our own good. If, If I need to do something, I must do it for myself. You have the old adage, there's some truth to it, but not in the realm of redemption. God helps those who help themselves. You heard that before? Not in this sphere. You cannot help yourself. And Nicodemus is stunned. Our pride in this matter keeps us from a humble disposition, from absolute reliance upon God. And what our pride does when we think this way about the way of redemption is we set a boundary around what the omnipotent God of heaven can do. That's what we're doing. As one pastor put it, we damn ourselves with diabolical pride. I plead with you this morning, if you, if you listen, to, listen to what Jesus, how he handles Nicodemus. Because now he's going to respond to Nicodemus. Nicodemus' question when he, he's astonished. And what you'll notice is what Jesus does is what Isaiah the prophet says the Lord will do. Isaiah in, 42, uh, in Isaiah 42, 16, Isaiah says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. That's what God promises to do to those who don't understand. He will do it. God does this for sinners. And I believe that in this conversation, he does it for Nicodemus. And you see it play out in the gospel We've seen those places where Nicodemus comes up again, so I'm not going to repeat them. And if you don't know what I mean, just get a concordance or just read the whole Gospel of John. That's probably the best thing to do. Read the whole Gospel of John and look for the places Nicodemus comes up. And you'll see that the Lord does this for Nicodemus in this conversation. He can do it for you. If he has done it for you, this text will help you better understand how he did it that you might praise Him, thank Him, honor Him, and worship Him as your Redeemer. And look at what He does first. First, He humbles 
Nicodemus. He humbles him. Look at his answer to Nicodemus' question. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? I, I, you know, that, I think that was the pathos, right? I think that's how Jesus said it. I don't think Jesus was soft when he said it. I don't think Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? I think he said to Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Or the, the way the author to the book of Hebrews puts it is, you ought to be teachers already. Yet you need milk and not meat. And, and Jesus says, you know, uh, let, me, let me, the Rick, Rick, Pastor Rick Fernandez translation. Nicodemus, you don't, you don't understand the necessity and nature of regeneration? You don't understand it? That's like a presidential candidate forgetting the Declaration of Independence. That's what that's like. Political joke, but... <clears throat> Jesus takes this approach... Because Nicodemus will not make any progress until God humbles him. And it's the same with all of us. We will not make any progress with God. And, and redemption is not a process. That's not what I'm saying. But when God be, begins the work of redemption, he humbles sinners. And that's what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus. He is humbling Nicodemus. He rebukes him. You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? If you were to ask a child, what is the meaning of life? Why do human beings exist? And the child said to you, uh, to feel good about myself and to make people like me. If a child said that, uh, you might tolerate their ignorance, right? You might think, oh, it's, you know, little kid, you know, what are you going to do, right? And you might seek to instruct them according to his, to his or her own capacity. But for the teacher of Israel, because that's what Jesus says. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. But for the teacher of Israel, the, the man who sat on the, the greatest religious council of the day and was in charge of teaching the people of God, the word of God, not to know the necessity and the nature of the new birth was absolute lunacy. What? What are you talking about? You don't understand these things? And that's why the people were in such darkness. You see, their religious tradition had built up a, a huge, huge, filthy, disgusting crust over the Word of God where the people could not get to the Word of God. They couldn't get to it, even those who desired to know that the Messiah was coming. When Jesus begins to heal people, and, and, and you have the blind man, is like, look, I don't know who he is. I don't know. But he, I was blind my entire life, and now I see. And the religious leader says, you're a sinner. That's, that's what's going on here. 
They, they, they rejected everything about Jesus because it didn't fit into their mold. They couldn't get Jesus to do things their way, so they killed him. And that, that's, that's why the Spirit of God leaves churches today. Because what they choose to do is say, we will not have this man rule over us. So God departs. Jesus rebukes him. Nicodemus was relying on his own knowledge, his own piety, his office, his social standing, his tradition to garner favor with God. And that is the height of ignorance. You're blind if you do that. He does not know the spiritual realities he has been appointed to believe, to live in light of, and to teach. And that why, that's why the people were in such desperate condition. That's why they were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. That is why when Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem and he considers the people, he weeps. They had been mistreated and harassed by worthless shepherds. And so what were they doing? They were biting and devouring one another. The sheep had rabies. They were going wild. It's almost like uh, Zechariah 11 is in the background of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John because he comes as the good shepherd and the people reject and refuse him. But this, you see, this is what happens. This is what happens and God judges people. God judges people when they refuse to turn to him with worthless shepherds. That's a judgment of God. And he's speaking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus does not understand these, these spiritual realities. He doesn't know them. Do you know these things, these realities? You can say, yeah, yes, yes, I know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave, and we're coming there, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever might believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I know that life is found in Jesus, but do these truths, truths, truths shape the way you think, you feel, you talk, and you act? The, the, the way that you think about your responsibilities as, let's say, a husband. I am a new creation, created in Christ Jesus for new, for good works. And I'm a husband. I've been given charge by God of a, of a, of a wife and maybe children and maybe grandchildren. How then, how, how am I to put the reality that the new birth is necessary and that the, the new birth is a work of the Spirit, how does my family see this? How do I show them that? 
Do I just talk about it all the time? Right? So every time you, you know, people come over for prayer or you have dinner with your family, you, you pray. It's like a 15-minute prayer, but it's really a sermon. Is that what you do? Right? You can't, I mean, that's a good way to do it. That's kind of a, you know, Jesus says to be wise, right? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So you could, that's one way. That's something you have in your toolkit. But, but by your practice, by living in such a way that causes your children and your wife to say, uh, my husband is not a perfect man, but he is a godly man. See, but you have to think about these things. And no man understands the things of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God understands them. And the Spirit of God imparts those things to God's people. That's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you live in light of these things? The shape the way you think, the way that you feel, right? So right now, uh, again, I use this in my uh, Sunday school class, right? Co- coronavirus, COVID-19, how, how do you feel? Are you in all-out panic buying all of the toilet paper in Kerhunkson and Ellenville? Is that what you're doing? Right? Now, I'm not saying let's not be, not to be responsible to be prepared. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is how are you feeling? Right. If uh, so, uh, I'm I'm not an advocate for doomsdayism, and I don't listen to you know uh, these uh, you know. Uh, let me. I want to use nice language to you know pundits, right? Conspiracy theory pushers who you know now they're in the Old Testament and in the Book of Revelation, and this is it, guys. It's coming, and the, you, you know the rapture's around the corner and you got to be ready now because COVID-19 is in the Bible. And that's absolute nonsense, right? I mean, Jesus speaks of wars, rumors of wars, plagues. They will last the entire age until he returns. All you got to do is read the Olivet Discourse and uh, you see that he promises that these things are going to happen throughout the age. False prophets are going to arise, all that stuff. Okay, but so so what what I'm saying is how does the how have these events tempered your feelings? How you feel, how you think, how you act, what you do. Will, 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 if it becomes a pandemic, and people are like dying by the hundreds of thousands, is it the responsibility of Christians to, to basically quarantine themselves so everybody dies? That would you do? No. That's not what we do. That's not what you do. You go and you open your mouth. This is the per- I said it this morning. This, this is the perfect time to evangelize. Because people are scared to death. Good. Excellent. I have the best news in the world even if you catch COVID-19 and you're elderly or have underlying conditions. I got the best medicine. The gospel. Do they temper the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you talk, what you say? 
right? The, the, the new man has a guard over his mouth. So what he chooses to say, particularly about other Christians, right? Other Christians in the congregation that I might disagree with, how I talk to other people about them, what I say about them, how I say things about them, when I say things about them, why I say things about them. Do I have a disagreement with someone? So, so do I, you know, do I, uh, you know, call everybody in the church and basically voice my disagreement with everybody so that everybody can pray for that person because, you know, they need prayer. Is that what you do? No. You watch the way that you talk and how you talk about people and the way that you act, the way that you live. Do you live a life that exhibits an endeavor after obedience? Now you see, I'm not saying perfection, but there is an endeavoring after, a pursuit of godliness. Not because my godliness gets me to heaven, but because Jesus has put heaven in my heart. Therefore, I live in light of those realities. Do these realities shape your life? They did in Nicodemus' life. And now what you have to remember, make a clear distinction in your mind. And I was talking to my, I referenced this to my kids this morning in the car. We have to make a clear distinction between a rebuke and an insult. Jesus was not insulting Nicodemus. He was rebuking him. He was expressing disapproval and criticism. He wasn't insulting him. He wasn't disrespecting Nicodemus, and he wasn't scorning Nicodemus. That's not what he was doing. That's not at all what he was doing. But what he was doing was bringing to Nicodemus' attention his complete inability to understand these spiritual realities apart from humility. And the way that humility expresses itself is it comes to the, to the Lord, it comes to God as God, as who he says he is. as who he, it, it doesn't come with a heart that tests God. Well, prove to me. You see, we, we, we think you're, uh, you know, you're doing these things, so we know that you're sent from God, but we don't know if you're really the Messiah. I think uh, one commentator, Henstenberg, he, he puts it this way. In light of this, Jesus' uh, rebuke of Nicodemus. What we must take into view is that from verse 9 onwards, all remonstrance from Nicodemus ceases. He didn't say anything else. He is dumb because the truth has touched his heart. He, by his silence, says with Job, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will not proceed further. With this declaration, which must have struck the more severely, since Nicodemus had begun with a confession that Christ is a teacher come from God, and had therefore bound himself to accept without examination what he offered him. The Savior gave the last blow to the dying unbelief of Nicodemus. If you come to these passages and you think to yourself, you know what, I don't, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. Good. 
Not because we want you to feel bad, but because God might be drawing you to himself. That, that's, that is the purpose of the scriptures. God intends to do that. God might be drawing you to, to his very presence, to salvation, and to the Savior. Jesus does not rebuke Nicodemus just to insult him, but so that Nicodemus might be saved. To offer criticism, to correct bad theology, that, that's not like mean, right? When, when you talk to your neighbor, let's say, let's say you have a neighbor who's, who's a Mormon, right? And your Mormon neighbor starts spouting heresy, which they, that's, they, they're heretical, and you correct your neighbor. You're not insulting him. If you have the neighbor on the other side is a Muslim, and, and you get into a conversation with your neighbor, and you begin to talk to him about the man Christ Jesus, and how he is the only way of salvation, and that there is no redemption before God apart from Christ, you're not insulting them. You can be, if, if you decide that you don't want to talk and act like a Christian, you can be rude. But the message itself, or the desire to, to correct uh, bad theology, which Jesus is doing here, he's putting it on display for us, is not wrong. God uses his word to save sinners. So he says to Nicodemus, are you not the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? That man is renewed by the Spirit of God? You don't know that? This truth is in the law and the prophets. We saw it in uh, Ezekiel 32 uh, last week, because I think that's the background to what Jesus says when he says, by water and spirit. He's talking about the renewal, the, the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. But it's in other places in the Old Testament. It's not just like in one obscure place. So look at Deuteronomy, which at least if you were a Pharisee, you would have memorized the, uh, uh, the, the books of Moses. At least you would have memorized those. And he was the teacher of Israel. So he was familiar with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this in verse 6. He's speaking to the people. And he says, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God circumcises the heart. He gives life. It's eternal life, and it's irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They're not taken back. So, so if, if from the time you've made a profession of faith, you've been in bondage to sin and, and, and wickedness, that's a false profession. You understand, right? You, you made a false profession. Because God liberates you. He frees you. And, and sin and wickedness, I don't just mean like you're like uh, addicted to meth or, or, you know, like a gas station robber. Right? That's not like, you mean, the way that you talk about people, the way that you live, 
the way that you act. I'm the the basic things, because God makes us a new creation. So we're to put off the old man, and you put on the new man, which is be, which is which is being conformed into the image of His Savior. And it's complete and total, and it's not just on Sunday. Right on Sunday, for two hours, I'm a Christian. I sing, I pray, I hear the Word of God. I have really nice passive conversation over a cup of coffee. Uh, but then, you know, I go back to living however I want to. No, no, not at all. God says that he will cause his people to live. And this is not some more obscure place in the Old Testament. The, the book of Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, was accepted by all of the Jews at this period in time. All of them, right? Because there were portions of the Bible that the Sadducees rejected of the Old Testament. But they all accepted the book of Deuteronomy. They revered Moses as a prophet, and the sermons in the book of Deuteronomy really were intended to lead the people into the possession of the promised land. So they would have known this place in the Bible. This is not some obscure place. Jesus is not using some strange doctrine to confound Nicodemus to make himself look smart. It's clear the need for a new birth. And then in Ezekiel 11, he says this, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. We looked at Ezekiel 32, but look at Ezekiel 11. The Lord says this in Ezekiel chapter 11. <clears throat> in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, the Lord says this. Then, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Now, you know, you could... You could take the position and say, well, this only has to do with the nation of Israel, and we're under a grace. This has uh, nothing to do with the church. Well, you know, Paul uses these exact words in the book of Ephesians to talk about believers. So, you know, uh, talk to Paul about your, your theology then, if you have a problem with this being something that applies to Christians today. God transforms us. And what he's talking to Nicodemus about is truths, realities that were evident in the Old Testament. The, the truth of the matter, the fact of the matter is that those who were in covenant with God under the Mosaic covenant were not all believers. There were unbelievers in covenant with God. And these promises are proclaimed because God is saying a time is coming when I will make a covenant with my people and all who are in covenant with me shall be saved. This promise of a new heart and new spirit so that people walk in my ways is the promise of the new covenant. And we are recipients of that promise with other believers. Therefore, these realities are not just sealed up for some other period of time, but are realities that even now have been unleashed upon this world. So he humbles Nicodemus because of his ignorance. He humbles the proud in heart. 
As it says in Isaiah 66 too, on this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And that leads us into the second thing he says to him. So you have that first correction. Now, now here's the second. He, re, he is, Jesus tells him two times. He says, you must be born again. And then he says a second time, you must be born of water and the Spirit. So he rejects, in a sense, by his question, by his disbelief, by his dismay, he rejects Jesus' authority. So Jesus returns and rebuffs now in verse uh, 11. This is what God does to us. He humbles us for our rejection of his witness. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify that we, what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. What you're doing is you're resisting the things that I'm declaring to you. And again, Jesus says, most assuredly, every time he answers Nicodemus, he uses, the, it's literally, amen, amen. Um, a solemn oath by a qualified witness, Nicodemus, that's what you've received. Twice now, I told you these things. You said, Nicodemus, that I was a teacher come from God. Now, either to use C.S. Lewis's categories, I'm a liar, I'm a lunatic, or I'm Lord. Pick one. And I'm Lord. So that's the only one you should pick. And Jesus says, we speak what we know. And uh, so, so several suggestions have been made. Um, uh, is this a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? We speak of what we know. Or maybe Jesus is talking about uh, others who have been spiritually awakened. And you'll see at the uh, towards the end of John chapter 3, uh, look, at, look there. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 32, listen to what John the Baptist says. John the Baptist says something very similar to what Jesus is, is talking about in this section. So uh, the first, when he uses this plural, some say there's a Trinitarian reference. Others say that it's a reference at least to John the Baptist, that, that we, because John was already preaching uh, these things, and John, look at John 3.32, what John the Baptist says. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. That's basically what Jesus just said to Nicodemus. So it could be a reference to that, those who are made by the Spirit, able to know these things, those who are enabled. Or as, as uh, one pastor put it, he is uh, sardonically aping the plural that Nicodemus affected when he reproached Jesus, which is, I think, a kind of a pretentious way to saying he was using the same kind of we that Nicodemus was using to kind of rebuke Nicodemus. So we know that you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus says, yeah, we know some things too. And we know that you're rejecting my authority. That's what you're doing. It could be, and honestly, the text is not clear. I, I tend to lean towards the second one because John the Baptist basically says the same thing at the, in the same chapter. <laughs> so I think what Jesus is saying is that, is that those who have been spiritually enlightened, who understand the truth of God, they agree with me. And then apl applied more broadly, um, 
these things that he referred to in verse 10 were revealed in the Old Testament. So what Jesus might be saying is that you, you don't know what God has been saying to his people for centuries. He's saying it through me now. He said it through John and through all of the other prophets throughout Scripture. <clears throat> in, uh, and Jesus, when uh, he's giving the parable of the mustard seed in Mark 4.30, he uses the same kind of language. Jesus says to him, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? When he's speaking to the crowds. And there, it's Jesus is speaking of himself. So, um, commentators disagree, but ultimately this we know. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, and the spirit of wisdom and knowledge rested upon him. We, as God's people, must come to Christ and to his word. Isaiah says it this way, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to it, because it is because they have no light. If, uh, uh, if I am preaching from the Bible, and I am interpreting the Bible rightly, you ought to believe what I'm saying. If I'm coming to the Bible and doing all kinds of gymnastics, mishandling the Bible, not interpreting rightly, covering things up you know, that I don't like, or maybe not preaching about topics that, that are uncomfortable, things like that, well, you don't have any reason to come here and listen to me. None. You're not bound by God to come here on Sunday to listen to me lie to you about the Bible. Why? Why would you do that? It'd torture your soul. We learn from this that God does not send us ministers, right? As as a, I, I love the old language. It's been put this way: God does not send ministers to prattle about things that are unknown or doubtful. That's not what he calls us to do. The plain things are the main things that I'm going to talk about. That's it. I, I don't, don't care about the hidden mysteries of, you know, COVID-19 is in Job 12 because there's five points to the bacteria and absolute lunacy, right? God doesn't call us to do that. God calls us to preach the gospel, with clarity. The things that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about were clear in the Old Testament. And the things that I'm preaching to you about today, about the need for the new birth and the need to be humbled before God, to take a disposition of humility before the Lord of the universe so that you might hear him. Right? So, uh, the law was given so that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might be held accountable to God. For through the law comes a knowledge of sin. And Jesus is making known to Nicodemus that he is a sinner. I mean, this for God's people also becomes a means of instruction because um, uh, it's not our business to be quibbling about 
inconsequential theology all the time. Things that don't matter, ultimately, for your sanctification and your personal growth, particularly at the, at the point where we are as a local, as a, in essence, a church plant. Some of you have been here for decades. But uh, I'm a new pastor here, right? So um, I'm not going to preach through the book of Revelation yet. I'm not going to. I eventually will. Some of you might disagree with me, and I'm okay with that. I'll try to convince you from the Bible what I believe. I'm not going to focus on obscure points of eschatology because what you need to hear is the gospel. Because many of you who, who you know, uh, might privately think you're experts on all things secret and unknown to God, right? Generally, what happens when you see that kind of stuff is a person's life is really a mess. So they don't, po- they don't focus on the things that are important. Right? Why am I going to focus on vital godliness and my need for the gospel? That, that disrupts my, 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 my uh, sleepy, lazy life. I want, I want to talk about obscure. I want to philosophize about the deep things of God. You know, what does the second toe on the dragon's, you know, what's the toenail? What does it refer to? on the two-headed dragon. and re- Why? Well, who cares? Who cares? Do you know the gospel? Do you know it? Have you come to Christ the way He calls you to come to Him? And do you actually live in light of that? Not tell me that you do. Right? Because ultimately, we could lie to each other till Jesus comes back. But the issue will always be, do I live in light of what I profess in private when nobody's there, when nobody's watching? We don't need to prattle about nonsense. We don't need to preach human inventions or, you know, lofty, ridiculous. No, no. The main things are the plain things. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You're the teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. They're all over the Bible. They're everywhere in Scripture. We testify to what we have seen. You can't testify about these things, Nicodemus, because you haven't seen them. That's what he's saying. He's saying to Nicodemus, you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. You're not converted, Nicodemus. You don't understand the new birth because you ain't been born again. Right? That's how we would say it in the South. You ain't been born again, Nicodemus. So you can't talk to me about these things, right? You're, you're, uh, Nicodemus, a, a pseudo-Bible teacher, is trying to traffic in spiritual realities with the, with the teacher of Israel, Jesus, and doesn't know anything. And Jesus is talking to him about the basics, the ABCs of what it means to be a Christian. And Nicodemus can't even get him because he's not born again. Um, and because of this, you know, what, what, what tends to happen, if you preach this way, right, and teach this way, generally speaking, if you choose to live your life in light of these things, the way that Jesus declares them to Nicodemus, you won't have a lot of friends. Because the darkness hates the light and will not come to it. 
absolutely right. Uh, so um, I used to work in pest control, right? And I hate rats. Just absolutely, I hate, ugh. And we, you deal with rats is like one of the things that you deal with the most when you do pest control. And you, you know, you crawl into a dark attic, and you hear, you can hear the rats. You smell them. They're up there. You shine a flashlight, and what do they do? Do they get up and start dancing for you? If they did, I'd... <laughs> yeah, uh, no, they, 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 they disappear, right? They, they are repulsed by it. They, they want nothing to do. I don't want anything to do with the light. And that is how unconverted people are. You begin to declare the truth of God to them in, in public settings like this or in private. And man, you could be as meek and as gentle as you want. They're going to get offended. They're going to get mad at you. They're not going to want to be around you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear those things. I want to wallow. And this, you know, if, if, if that devil, right, right, right the, the, if the devil that resides in some of us would, would speak audibly, what that devil would say is, I want to wallow in my sin. I'm a pig and I love my filth. And God says in his son, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the sinner says, nope, I don't, I don't want to do that. You think of the absolute corruption of people who are willing to live that way when God disposes himself to be a shepherd to the lost. My goodness, how hard are some people's hearts? It's absolutely unbelievable. Third, he rebukes Nicodemus in verse 12 now for his slowness. He's, 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 not, he's not picking up what Jesus is saying, and Jesus uses an earthly illustration. Look at, look at uh, verse 12. He says, if I had told you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's going to tell him heavenly things in verse 13. We're not going to get to verse 13 and verse 14, but I want to read them. Look at the heavenly things he tells him. In verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. That's the incarnation. And he even expresses the immensibility of God because he says that the Son of God was in heaven, he came to earth, and he's still in heaven, but he's having a conversation with you. That, those are heavenly things. And then not only does he talk about his incarnation, but he even tells Nicodemus about his crucifixion, and he uses Old Testament typology to reveal to Nicodemus the, the, the meaning of the cross. What does he say? So he talks about the incarnation in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He talks to him about the incarnation and about, the, I'm going to, oh, okay, I'm going to give you a sampling of the theology 101 with Jesus, the incarnation and the cross. In, 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 Brief but dense language. You, Nicodemus, you want to be impressed? Let me impress you. If 
I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Earthly things. What are you talking about? He talked to him about the wind. He says, Jesus said this a similar thing to the Pharisees when he says, when you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there it is, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the time? You fools. You're so blind. I just illustrated to you, Nicodemus, the, the, the nature of the new birth from how the wind blows. God willingly gives new hearts according to his own good pleasure. You didn't even understand that. How will you understand, Nicodemus, spiritual realities? You, 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 you don't get it because you don't have no life. You don't have no life. So um, if I had to sort of draw this together, what I would say is, uh, well, let me make another, let me apply this, because this is important. Um, We have the tendency, right? This is not redundant, but uh, helpful. We have the tendency to think that when we have problems, right, some complex solution is going to help us. So it's got to be some elaborate thing, you know, or some like mystical, magical thing. I'm going to be walking through Walmart and I'm going to pick up a scratch it. And since I don't gamble, I'm a Christian, it's already going to be scratched and I'm going to become a $10 million heir. You know, or, or some strange, right? No, the, 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 and I'm speaking to Christians here, just making this practical and saying that most of the problems that we have can be solved really easily if you're just willing to listen to the Bible. Right? You have a disagreement with somebody, how do you fix it? Do you stay away from them, never talk to them when you see them in Ricky Lynn's, you hide behind your menu? Is that what you do? No. If it's a small thing, right? Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. You know, how long have we been married, Jessica? Huh? 19 years. I've been married 19 years. That, that woman has a lot of love. <laughs> Her love has covered a multitude of my sins. So love covers a multitude of sins. If there are things that you can overlook, you know, if, 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 if everyone knew everything you were thinking all the time, nobody would talk to you. So love covers a multitude of sins. And next is if it's egregious enough where you have to have a conversation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, speaking to an entire church, he says, act like men. He's talking to the women too. You know what he means? You go to the person and you say, you know, it really bothers me that you did this. And I'm just, you know, and the reason it bothers me is because I think this is why you did it. Is that why? And they say, no, that's not why I did that. I did it because of this. You say, oh, man, I was wrong all along. Well, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the one who was wrong. Or they might say, yeah, that's why I did it. And there you go, right? Now you've got to work through it. That's what adults do, right? If, if you can't do that, please don't. If you're, and you're not married, don't get married. 
And if you are married and you can't do that, I know you're having a bad marriage. It's bad. Because you can't do that. You've not learned how to do it. So, um, right, so when Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to discuss, um, you know, all of the miracles that he's doing. You're, come, you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus just explains to him the ABCs of faith in God. God, you have to be born again because you're born a sinner, dead in trespasses and sins. And the one who gives you this new life is God himself. The Spirit washes you, regeneration. He makes you brand new. Let me illustrate to you. God kind of works like the wind works, Nicodemus, where we don't, and even at that point, they wouldn't really know, but, you know, we can determine wind patterns and stuff enough to know what the weather might be like, but it's a mystery to us. And it is a mystery. The new birth is a mystery. I pray that every time I preach, somebody gets saved, but that's not what God does. And he's communicating these basic things and Nicodemus doesn't get it because he's not willing to humble himself. There has to be a willingness to humble ourselves before God. You do not believe. How will you believe? What he does here is he he touches him more severely by charging him with want of faith, right? Ultimately, that's what he does is, he says to him, you don't believe. You think you believe. You don't believe, Nicodemus. That's the issue. You know, sometimes we look for, uh, especially if we've made a false profession, for a thousand reasons why. Oh, it's a bad church, and there were bad pastors, and there were bad people, and the sermon is too long, and I don't know why he sweats so much, and it's distracting, and it's distracting that, you know, he quotes too many places from the Bible. No, you're not Christian. That's what bothers you. You don't like to hear the simplistic rantings of your pastor because you're not Christian. That's what the issue ultimately is. And that's what Nicodemus does uh, excuse me, that's what Jesus does to Nicodemus. He just boils it down to him and he says, well, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. That's why it bothers you. And with some of you today, that's the issue. You see, the, the, the issue isn't, um, for, you, you know, for some people, I'm, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Baptist, like serious. People were saying, oh, they're going to baptize babies there. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Right? What? No, the, the, the issue is a bunch of guys came in here that you didn't know and were preaching the gospel and you didn't like it. So you didn't come here no more. That's what happened, right? You don't believe, right? You, 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 get dis, you get distracted and disturbed by the most inconsequential things, right? Because you don't believe. That's the issue. That's the issue you got to deal with. It's not he's a Calvinist. It's not he doesn't have my same theology. No, you don't believe the Bible. Because most of what I do is preach the gospel here every single Sunday. That's what I get up here and do. Not perfectly, not eloquently, not better than the greatest preachers in the world. I preach a very simple gospel every Sunday. And some of you don't like it because you're not Christian. That's why you don't like it. That's why you don't come. 
and that's what, what you have to put your finger on. That's where you got to deal with God. You got to deal with God at the most important point, not with all the extra stuff. I've, I've, look, I've got great friends who are Presbyterian. They baptize their babies, right? But they're great friends. I have great friends who are Episcopalian. They baptize their babies and their church services are too close to Catholicism for me. I have great friends who are Lutherans. I have great friends who are Arminian, Methodists, Arminians. Right? They're good friends. Why? Because we have fellowship in the gospel of God's Son. I don't have a problem. Right? So you, you could come here on Sundays and look for problems with everything we do. Man, they don't sing nice. I like the old songs better. Why did he bring that pulpit from the chapel? Why did he put the pulpit on the top? Why aren't... Face the issue. You don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the gospel. You've not experienced the saving effects of the Spirit in your life. That's the problem. And when you can approach God with that kind of humility... God has begun to work in your life. That's what's happening. So next week, we'll, we'll then deal with 13 through, uh, uh, 14 through 15. So the exhortation really is, I, I would quote to you from Isaiah 66 too. On this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. Learn to tremble at God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of coming together, Lord, and hearing your word preached, hearing your word read, praying with the saints, taking the Lord's Supper, singing songs of praise, spending time in Sunday school and a small time of fellowship in between services, Lord. I pray that you would make us a people, Lord, who are humble. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.